0: pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, as we open now your word to read it, to hear it proclaimed to us, would you open our ears to hear, open our minds and our hearts to understand, open up our lives to be ruled by you and you alone, our Savior and our God. As we listen now, take away every distracting thought, every worldly care, every lingering anxiety, so that we might focus on what you have to say to us tonight. And most of all, Father, reveal to us the glories of your Son, Jesus Christ, for he is our great Savior, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, please open the scriptures to our sermon text. We'll be looking this evening at Philippians chapter 2, reading verses 5 through 11. You'll find this in your pew Bibles on page 980 but mainly focusing this morning on verses 6, or this evening on verses uh, 6 through 8. So Philippians chapter 2, reading verses 5 through 11. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. We all love stories. We love to tell stories. We love to hear stories, and Christmas is a time when we listen to certain music, we tell certain stories, and we come back to them every year. I don't know if there are certain Christmas movies that you like to watch. I don't know what streaming services you might subscribe to, but whichever one you load up, you pull up on your TV, it's full of what they now call holiday content. The Hallmark Channel outdoes all of them. I read that this year they produced 42 new Christmas movies. I haven't seen a single one of them. But I know a little bit about their formula. And I also know this. If you watch all 42 of these movies, you might see a lot of Christmas trees. You might even hear a few Christmas carols. But you would learn very little about the true Christmas story. The true Christmas story is the story about Jesus Christ, about how the eternal God humbled himself and became man. This Christmas story is told to us as we open the pages of the Bible. And most often at Christmas, we turn to the gospels, especially the gospels of Matthew and Luke, where we find the narration of Jesus's birth. In the gospels, the story is told from the perspective of Jesus's mother, Mary, And his father, Joseph. And we also get the stories, you know, of the angels, how they appear to the shepherds, and the shepherds come, and how the wise men visit, they see the star in the heavens. But here, as we are reading Philippians this evening, we get another perspective on this same story, the Christmas story. In some ways, it gives us a zoomed out, even an eternal perspective, considering Jesus, who he is as eternal God, and then who he became for us who he became for us in time as he comes down. In a sense, this actually gives us Jesus' own perspective on what it meant for him to become man, to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, to take on human flesh. So tonight we'll consider this story, the Christmas story from Jesus' perspective, because this is the story that gives us life watching a christmas movie it may entertain you for a couple of hours but the true christmas story is what we all need to know god to be reconciled to him to find life eternal and in the end so that we might give our thanks back to god so for all that he has done for us so look at this passage tonight by asking three questions first who was jesus christ second Who did Christ become? And third, why? Why did Christ, who is God, become man? So our first question tonight is, who was Jesus Christ? We read first in verse 6, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto. Here we see that the scripture mentions who Jesus was is almost in passing. It's saying this is who he was but it's already looking forward to who he will become in time. First it tells us, but first it's saying, this is who he already was before that. There's two phrases here that tell us this, that he was in the form of God, that he was equal to God. Now, if you look at all of the New Testament, there's no question in this New Testament of our Bible that Jesus is divine, that he is God. It's true that it took some time for his disciples to figure this out but the Bible is absolutely crystal clear that Jesus is God. It's put very simply, very clearly at the beginning of the Gospel of John, as we read earlier. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't get any clearer than that because Jesus is the Word. He was God. But here in Philippians, these two phrases in verse six highlight certain things about Jesus' identity. Being in the form of God means to share God's attributes, to be like God in every way. Now, it's on its own. This is very similar to what's said also of of man, of, of mankind, because the Bible teaches that we are in the image of God, to be in the form of God, to be in the image of God. These two are very close in meaning, and yet there is a crucial distinction between the two, because mankind is created in the image of God. We are a creaturely image of God, and we are not equal to God. But Jesus, being both in the form of God and equal to God, is the perfect, the uncreated, eternal image of God. As it says in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And that means that he has all the attributes of God himself. Jesus is the infinite, the eternal, the unchangeable image of God infinite and eternal and unchangeable in His being, His wisdom, His power, His holiness, His justice, His goodness, and His truth. It's also interesting that scripture here, it it doesn't come out and straight up say, Jesus being God Himself, and then go on to say what it says in verse 7, He emptied Himself. It could have said that, just as Thomas wasn't afraid to cry out to Jesus, my Lord and my God in John 20, 28. But why doesn't it say it so clearly here? The scriptures is unequivocal other places that Jesus is God, but it also preserves the divine mystery of the Trinity, that there is one God in three persons. By saying here that he is in the form of God, equal to God, the passage is highlighting the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. It is distinguishing the Father and the Son within the one God. While Jesus is on the earth, he refers to God as his Father. Much as we do, we also call God our Heavenly Father. But here we see that this relationship of Father to Son is something that isn't new when Jesus comes down and takes on human flesh. It's not just a facet of Jesus' human life. When he is a human, Jesus was always the Son. He was eternally begotten of the Father. And the Father and the Son are distinct persons, and yet one God, as Jesus says, I and the Father are one. But Jesus could say, of this is true, even before he came down, he could say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know that verse, John 3.16. And so as the Son, he was sent from the Father. As the Son, he was willing to submit to the Father, to humble himself, to come down, to take on flesh. So we've seen who Jesus was, who he always was, eternal God, eternal Son of God. He always remains God. And we have to begin here, because it's only as we try to comprehend the greatness of who Jesus already was. We, I say we try to because we could never comprehend the fullness of his glory. But as we try to comprehend that, we come to appreciate how far down he stooped as he became man. And that brings us to our second question, who did Christ become? So we read verse 7, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself. And how he did this, how he emptied himself, is described by these two phrases. He took the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men. And these two go together. Christ demonstrated that he was a servant by becoming a man. And then as a man, he lived to serve. You know, it's interesting that Paul puts being a servant first. He became a servant. That's what we call his humiliation, his humbling, the humbling of Christ. And this is where we get Jesus' perspective on the Christmas servant story. This is what it cost him to do this for us. He who is all glorious, ever glorious God took on the form of a servant. He who is all-powerful, whom all serve, came, as he says, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark ten forty five. He comes not to receive, but to give. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, as we just sang in that previous hymn. Now this humbling of himself, this humiliation is closely tied to the fact that he became man, what we call the incarnation. This is put so beautifully in John 1.14, as we read earlier, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became man, but did you notice the exact phrasing in verse seven? Born in the likeness of man. Why doesn't it just say, Born as a man. Why the likeness of man? Well, this highlights one subtle and yet key difference between Jesus and all other men. Jesus is, as the scripture says, like us in every way, yet without sin. Verses 6 through 7 highlights this difference by making a subtle allusion to the first man, Adam. When Adam was in the garden, Satan tempted him, saying, Reach out, eat this forbidden fruit so that you can become like God. And he grasped after that fruit. He tried to make himself divine, and yet this was the greatest folly. This was the fall. He did not rise up but fell down. And ever since that, all mankind has been living in rebellion, living as if. We could be our own God, but of course we are not. But Jesus, who was equal to God, did not grasp after this privilege. He did not hold on to it. He did not hold on to the glory, but rather, it says, he emptied himself. He became a servant. He became man. He came down. He does the opposite of Adam and Eve. Instead of reaching up for his own glory, he stoops down to serve. What a glorious thing that Jesus does in humbling himself. How do we get our minds around all this? The incarnation, it's utterly unique. There's nothing else quite like it. And so all metaphors we could come up with, any illustration we might make will have flaws. I have a a poor, a very poor illustration. You'll see in a minute how poor it is but I'll give it to you anyway. Perhaps some of you have seen the show. It's still running after many, many years, the show called Undercover Boss. It's a show in which, and I just read the the, the quote from from the website, high-level corporate executives leave the comfort of their corner offices and secretly take low-level jobs within their companies to find out how things really work and what their employees truly think of them. The show has been so successful that it spawned a sister show. It's called Secret Millionaire. Real life millionaires gain a vivid perspective on what it's like for the lower classes as they go incognito and work at minimum wage jobs in some of the country's most poverty stricken neighborhoods. Now in both of these shows, someone who is powerful, someone who is rich, they come down, they live, they work among those who don't have power, don't have money, don't have success. And at the end of each episode of these shows, the undercover boss, the secret millionaire, they reveal who they are. They shower gifts on the people that they've gotten to know. They help out whoever they can. And these shows, they tell a powerful story. They make great TV. And it illustrates today something like what Christ has done in becoming man, in stooping down, And yet, isn't this such a poor illustration? Because it's so little, it's almost nothing in comparison to what Christ did when he left the glory of his heavenly splendor and was born in this world of sin. Jesus was not a secret millionaire or even a secret billionaire, trillionaire. He was the creator and the sustainer of all things. And he came not just to get to know us, not just to give us a little help, to give us his very self, to pour out his life for us. The story of Christmas is the story of how the almighty, the eternal God humbled himself and became man to beca- he became a servant for you and for me. As Thomas Watson writes, he was poor that he might make us rich. He was born of a virgin that we might be born of God. He took our flesh that he might give us his spirit. He lay in the manger that we might lie in paradise. He came down from heaven that he might bring us to heaven. And what was all this but love? If our hearts be not rocks, this love of Christ should affect us. Behold love that passes knowledge, that man should be made in God's image was a wonder, but that God should be made in man's image is a greater wonder that the ancient of days should be born, that he who thunders in the heaven should cry in the cradle, that he who rules the stars should suck the breast, that Christ should be made of a woman and of that woman which he himself made. Christ taking flesh is a mystery we shall never fully understand till we come to heaven when our light shall be clear as well as our love perfect, end quote. What a beautiful mystery that God would become man. And so next, we need to ask our third question tonight. Why? Why did God become man? What did he come for? We saw that Jesus, he emptied himself, he became a servant, he became a man, verse seven. But then it progresses on, verse eight. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, the point of death even death on a cross so he emptied himself that he might further humbled himself and essentially jesus became man we see here in order to die because if you think about it that's one thing that god cannot do god cannot die but why why did he have to die well that's because this is what we needed. He did it for us. As the scripture teaches, we are all sinners for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. We are in rebellion, enemies of God, Romans 5.10. And therefore we are justly under the sentence of eternal condemnation, eternal death. And so we need a savior. We cannot save ourselves. The distance between us and God, the God that we have offended, is so great and we cannot cross it. And so we need a mediator, someone to come between. We need a mediator who is both God and man. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He was born Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the divine and human priest who came to bring peace between God and man. As we read in Hebrews 2.17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be a man like us, so that he could take our sins onto himself so that he could suffer the judgment for them in our place. He took on flesh and blood so that, quote, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. He came to meet our need, and he does this on the cross And that's exactly where verse eight takes us. It takes us to the cross. And so from the moment of his incarnation in the womb of the Virgin Mary, from the point of his birth forward, his life was always headed towards death on the cross. Jesus Christ, simply put, was born to die. He was born to die so that you who trust in him might live. That is why God became man, so that you might be reconciled to God, so that you might dwell with him forever. And so we began tonight considering all the Christmas stories our culture tells, that they are a pale shadow in comparison to the true, the great Christmas story of Jesus Christ. In closing tonight, I want to ask you to consider your Christmas story. What story will you live out this Christmas? What story will you tell others about this Christmas? Will this year be about the presents you get? Will it be about the delicious food you eat? Or will it be about the present that God has given you in Jesus Christ? If you haven't received this gift, if you haven't trusted in Jesus yourself, Make this be the year that you turn to him. Receive God's love for you in Christ. He is the meaning of Christmas. And so as we go to prayer now, and then as we light the candles, as we sing the Christmas hymns, think, think about how you will make the Christmas story your Christmas story this year. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that the eternal son did not count equality with you a thing to be grasped, but that he emptied himself, that he took the form of a servant, that he was born in the likeness of men, that he furthered humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We thank you that he died so that we might live with you forever. And we praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, now risen and reigning as Lord over all. May you, Lord Jesus Christ, be exalted in our hearts this Christmas season, and always may you be glorified in our lives. And may we continue to grow in our love for Christ. May we grow in our faith in him, all to his glory and praise.